0: Hello everyone, I'm back with episode 5 of There Are Only Ways. To remind you all, this is a podcast where I tell the story of my spiritual journey from evangelical Christianity to where I am now. My intention is to form a community where people from both spiritual and non-spiritual backgrounds can talk to each other on an even playing field. I want to foster a conversation where people can feel heard about where they are coming from and not be afraid to talk about what they actually believe. Saying all of that, I want to inform you that today I'm about to put out two more episodes and recording them both at the same time. And quite frankly, these episodes aren't about my journey, really at all, but some other topics. And I really do hope to come back to that in episode 7, but I'm not going to promise anything. Why I felt moved to do something today that was different was because I know that none of you live under a rock, and we've been dealing with COVID-19 in the United States for a few months now. I thought it was important to address the pandemic, and in this episode, we will be focusing on a sliver of something that has been happening for these past few months. In the next episode that we will record later today, we will be talking about the new momentum of Black Lives Matter. In both these episodes, I have a wonderful panel to talk about these different things with. Dan Kay and Jeremy W., would you introduce yourselves? Sure.
1: Um, Hi, my name is Dan... Hey, uh, I use he, him pronouns. It's important to me uh, to name some aspects of my identity for the audience uh, so that they're reminded of my perspective uh, and that it's multidimensional and that I'm mostly coming from a place of privilege. <clears throat> I identify as yonsei or fourth generation Japanese American, East Asian American, straight, able-bodied, cis man. I also would like to name Kimberly Crenshaw, whose work coined the term intersectionality uh, to describe the necessity to consider blackness and gender when looking at the oppression of black women and um, Provides a really good lens for us to like view um, topics of oppression today
2: All right, hello everyone. I'm Jeremy Washington. I identify as a straight black American. I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago Cool. Thank you guys. Um,
0: this first episode will focus on an article all read. Um, we all read actually. It, it was uh, named "Asian Americans, Anti-Blackness, and COVID-19." Um, it's part one. It's written by Erna Hackett on our blog, Liberated Today. Um, she is a pastor at the Way Church. Um, I don't know is that the exact name of of it or i think it's called the way christian center oh okay in in berkeley okay gotcha gotcha um she was a uh, prior to that a um working for university for about 10 years uh, as a campus minister um so what's crazy to me about this is that i've been planning on recording this episode for almost two months since the uh article comes from about uh mid-april and in light of recent events, I think the insights we get offered today on this topic will be even more pertinent. In summary, the article discusses how Asian Americans have an increased amount of racism that has been targeted at them since COVID-19 has become more of an issue in the United States. The article then introduces the idea of anti-blackness and delineates that between white supremacy and racism more broadly. After having defined what anti-blackness is, the article tries to explain how Asian Americans are facing some taste of this through their current experience with how people treat them at this time in response to COVID-19. The article emphasizes five points that Asian-Americans are currently facing that can help them understand anti-blackness further. This is verbatim from the author's perspective addressing Asian-Americans, by the way. When we go into a space, people look at us with suspicion and as a source of something dangerous. There are logical narratives about us and our community being the source of something that is problematic to the United States at large. You fear that violence will be perpetrated against your family members when they are doing normal, everyday activities. The smallest innocuous gesture, when done in a public space, are suddenly interpreted as dangerous and threatening. Politicians and leaders are using language that you know uh, are increasing the permission that people feel uh, to treat you in a dehumanizing way. All these factors create a hyper self-awareness when out in public and a constant evaluation and questioning of how people are perceiving you. The article goes into each point describing how these um, different things define anti-blackness and are in some shape or form currently being experienced by Asian Americans. The article concludes with challenging Asian Americans to truly be empathic towards black people in a radical way. To break down the article uh, even further, as well as to offer their own views and experiences on the issues discussed in the article, I will now turn to my guests each question I ask, will offer uh, I'll offer to both my guests, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, so my first question is, what was your gut reaction to this article? This is Dan Kay. Um, my,
1: I guess, gut reaction was that I had read a lot of news stories about... Um, sort of anti-Asian, anti-Asian-American sentiment as a result of COVID-19 and had seen some of the more notable examples, which Hackett calls out in her blog, but hadn't, and I would say even now, haven't, um, experienced it personally. Um, I've also, you know, been very limited in my, like, outside exposure in the past two and a half, three months. So, um, the other thing that um, I wanted to talk about was that this podcast typically um, talks about Dan P's you know, journey with evangelical Christianity and spirituality in general. And so um, I was actually like, pretty surprised to see something put out by someone with that similar background um, addressing anti-blackness and calling out Asian Americans. Um, that was like very outside of my experience growing up. And in a lot of ways, um, healing uh, to, to hear someone, like one of the reasons I left the church was because I wasn't hearing this type of language and people being called out in this way. So it was healing for me.
2: For me, my initial gut reaction, I was just nodding my head along with the article as I was, as I was reading it, just simply saying somebody black gets, somebody not black gets it. Like That, that was my mm-hmm. gut reaction. I was just happy to see somebody was recognizing how what the Asian American community is now experiencing on a larger scale, especially since Trump came into office and of course now with the whole COVID-19 being directly uh, pointed back to China and Trump using the slurs that he has been using when referencing the virus. is just showing how that the racism permeates throughout the American society and now Asian Americans are facing uh, the brunt of it that maybe some of them can relate to black people when it comes to what we experience in this country. Thanks, Jeremy. Um,
0: next question was, do you feel that this article helped to encapsulate some of your experiences or thoughts you had on these topics prior to reading it? Um, further, have you had a personal experience or experiences being a part of your racial group and how you've been treated that makes the idea of empathy for others difficult?
1: Yeah, so prior to COVID-19, I I viewed my experience of race in America as an East Asian American um, as a tool uh, to help me empathize with the egregious violence perpetrated against um, Black Americans, Brown Americans. So it felt really affirming to hear um, from someone else's uh, perspective this being specifically called out for Asian Americans. Yeah, As the other thing that came to mind was as an East Asian American, um, I feel marginalized actually by much of white, black, and Latinx America. Um, And I know that's a really broad statement. So um, I haven't had many really explicit conversations on this topic, but my impression is that no one really knows whose side we're on. um, And in reality, have East Asian Americans on all sides. Um, For me, I want to call out that I've greatly benefited from my adjacency to whiteness. And I'm actively trying to dismantle anti-blackness in myself, and that I support radical measures to end state-funded violence against black and brown people. Thanks, <clears throat> Uh
2: Me, did it encaps- encapsulate? Yes. Yes, yeah. it did. Um, <laughs> uh, as far as empathy for others. So uh, my personal experiences as a black man, I would say it has not made me having empathy for others difficult. Um, but I will be honest that I have found myself and others I've seen that I hang out with sort of doing a comparison sometimes where it kind of is like a game of who has a worse in this country. Um, and that in itself diminishes the empathy that I may have if it goes unchecked. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when it comes to certain things that I have seen like other races experience, honestly, my mind instantly goes back to, oh, well, black people been through that. You know, we did that. Like we, 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 you know, we fought that. we all this. But I have to check myself, like, well, it's not about that at this particular point. Like, yeah, we, you know, we have a fight as black people that other races don't technically have on the scale that we have it, but it's not right for me, in my opinion, as a black person to just instantly disregard the uh, challenges that they may be facing that is similar to what my race has already probably faced or continue to face, just because we may have experienced it to a harsher degree. So I have to admit that, yeah, at times I, you know, think like, oh, well, we've been through that, whatever, but I have to still make sure that I have that the empathy because what's the point is mm-hmm. then we've been through that if it's still happening. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: next question, it was, um, is there anything in the article that you disagreed with? If not, was there anything in the article that you wish was more deeply discussed?
1: Yeah, for me, um, I wish that Hackett had started by naming their identity before calling out Asian-Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the blog post, they do name parts of their identity, um, but before calling out a group or even a group that you feel part of, I think it's really helpful to acknowledge your personal perspective, where you're coming
2: from. Hmm. Um, yeah, that would be my critique, I guess. Okay. <coughs> Sorry. Me personally, I have no disagreements. Um, as I was mentioning before we started the podcast, like I felt this article is more focused on or toward Asian Americans, you know, the, you know, the Asian American community than myself. Um, I'm not involved with the Asian American community on a level where I feel I can comment on what the article may or may not have been missing and could have mm-hmm. brought up. Mm-hmm. Like, but I'm just happy that it actually did bring up, you know, the anti-blackness that permeates Human Society like, because every race has some type of prejudice, but just to be able to see how the uh, author was relating what Asian Americans are going through and how they can be empathetic to the Black struggle, because we're all in America and we all suffer from this uh, systemic racism that is out there, whether it be by you know uh, going to jail, the prison, you know, school to prison pipeline, or what's happening now, being blamed for a virus that. You had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Thanks, Jeremy. Um,
0: do you think the article, um, or specifically the ideas in the article, could be expanded to a greater application than just what is discussed in the article?
1: Um, so, from my perspective, Hackett's sweet spot is the Christian East Asian Americans, um, since that's most closest to her identity. Um, one way to expand on these opportunities for empathy would be to tie the example she has provided back to Christian principles and Christian texts uh, to build an even stronger argument in that very specific space. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was kind of like interesting. She kind of at the very end brings in sort of like, oh, this is like what God would want or whatever. But throughout the article, she doesn't really talk about that, which for me actually made it more accessible because you're not going to like turn people away. But it seems like, that is kind of like her sweet spot. I mean, she's like a pastor. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I also kind of struggle a little bit with empathy as fuel for action. Um, You know, as I mentioned earlier, for a long time, I've used my personal experiences with race in America to empathize with black Americans. But thanks to my privilege, I'm allowed to kind of put that in a cabinet and not think about it for long periods of time um, until things like recent current events that have you know, thrown the entire country into kind of like this sort of like um, evaluation mode and like, okay, now it's like front of mind to me, you know. Um, so I don't have a solution for that. I think certainly building empathy and saying that that's something we should be doing is a good first step.
2: Thank you. Like, again, I, <laughs> I refer to my last statement about, uh, I'd like to get the article brought up mm-hmm. and I can't really comment on like what the author could have mm-hmm. possibly done, mm-hmm. but I, I do want to say this, that this was just part one that we had when we read That's it. It's true. So I don't know if the author is going to come out with the part two, like, but we're just going off of what we read on uh, part one. So maybe part two will be, so I almost got read it, but maybe it'll expound on certain things that weren't covered in part one. Yeah. Um, so, it's interesting, um,
0: I, I read this article, actually, um, I, I kind of want to go a little bit more into um, why I decided to do, uh, why we decided to do this article in the first place. Um, so, you know, going back to mid-March was when multiple states, including our own, did a lockdown, um, and we've been effectively locked down... Since then, uh, we've had some reopenings in this past week um, amidst um, the riots that have happened, and we'll talk about that more in the next episode. But um, kind of going back to that time in, I guess you could say, late March, early April, um, I just thought to myself, like, okay, I want to do a podcast episode. Um, And part of that was because... um, me uh me and dan actually lived together as roommates and it was interesting to be like well we were sitting around all day like talking we've actually have we tend to say, to have really good deep conversations usually multiple times a day actually <laughs> um and i was like we should record ourselves like i'm already making a podcast um we talk about really deep topics uh we should actually record this um but then, like most things, when you present a an idea, you're like, oh, now there's suddenly pressure to, like, make something. Um, and uh, Dan brought this article to my attention. Um, and at first, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that or not. But I think as it kind of, like, I guess stayed with me, I was like, oh, this seems actually really relevant um, to what we're going through. Um and then after that point, Jeremy came to mind um, <laughs> as a, like a really good um, element of this episode. Um, but I did want to ask, well, um, feel free to respond to Jeremy, but I, did, I was thinking about you, Dan, and kind of what, when you were thinking of, I guess, podcast ideas or whatever for this episode, what, what drew you to this particular um, article? I think uh, the thing that drew me to it was its
1: uniqueness. Um, in terms of like, oh, I've, I have an Asian American community that I've been a part of that's you know concerned about things like anti-blackness in American society and things like that. But I had never I didn't experience that until I left the church. Yeah. And like I guess to tie it back to the, th- the overall theme of the podcast and our, the conversations that Dan and I often have are we kind of have a shared like faith background in sort of the evangelical Christian world. And we were both kind of on a journey out of that or outside mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And so it really wasn't until that I had, I had left that world that I started making these connections with people who um, look like me, who are also um, interested in dismantling uh, anti-blackness in America and things like that. So I was like, oh, this is really interesting that this is someone who's from the old world of spirituality that purports all these moral values and things like that, um, who's talking about this. And that, that contrast really like, was surprising to me.
0: Okay,
2: thanks. <clears throat> like um uh, this uh podcast I did was just like sent to me. I didn't know this is what we were gonna be talking about until like a few days ago. <laughs> like but I'm grateful for it because um when it started to become more obvious that uh, prejudices were showing up, not just you know amongst white people when it came to <clears throat> Asian Americans, even amongst the black community. You know, it was like, because it's, black people, we, like, it's a lot of us that are prejudiced, you know, and they have crack jokes and everything, you know, about Chinese food or whatever, but to hear about the effects that um, the virus was having on restaurants before the shutdown, you know, before quarantine, mm-hmm. like, Chinatown was completely empty mm-hmm. and everything. I don't know, I was talking to another friend, who's who's black, and we were like, we were determined, like, Yo, we should go up there, just go to a restaurant, you know, and actually eat the food there because the whole... Prejudices that were showing up weren't good to be having. Period. And we wanted to show our support in that way. Of course, we didn't get around to it. <laughs> like, like, but just the simple fact that I'm able to sit here and see how um, some Asian Americans, or particularly Dan and the author, are bringing that up, is and like, well, here we can, you know, have this as a byproduct, as the author said, to learn from it, to be able to see well, anti-blackness is similar to what we are experiencing. I was really just grateful to be able to part of the, be part of this conversation as the black part. <laughs> <I didn't understand. laughs> for sure. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, thanks for both your feedback on that. Um, I I guess it's really interesting to... Um, I mean, one thing you probably all know about my podcast is that I don't publish episodes too often <laughs> <laughs> every fiscal quarter <laughs> <Get that. laughs> um, and I, I think um I'm, I'm sort of throwing maybe a weird interjection in here um but saying that um it's interesting to kind of notice my own personal state between each episode because it's like okay I'll record an episode. And sometimes I won't publish it right away. My plan is to publish this pretty quickly because I want to stay current um, since what we're talking about are current events. Um, But, uh, you know, I guess the weird thing for me with this is like I can see, okay, where was I the last time I recorded an episode? Where am I now? How have I changed? How have I evolved? Um, And I I think that for me, it, it feels, I guess one thing that I've been thinking about um, just with COVID nineteen, even prior to the past week and a half, is just sort of a it's it's weird to say like I can and I think this kind of gets into some I don't know I know this is kind of expands conversations conversation just outside of Asian America, um, but I think is relevant and it's something we won't necessarily talk about in the next episode. But I would I was kind of wanting to touch on the fact of like one thing about COVID nineteen that's been really interesting is suddenly everyone's kind of being affected like differently obviously because of race and class and other factors um but i think i want to kind of open the table up to that a little bit more just to talk about that because i think it does refer back to this article but it also kind of i don't know is that kind of make sense guys like that topic like i'm sure we've all experienced this sort of like okay either you know, you can't go to work, you're being furloughed, you're, you know, there's businesses that are closed that you can't do certain things. Um, and obviously there's greater social effects depending on, you know, whether you have to go outside or not because of, because of even just work. Um, so I'm, I want to open up the floor for that.
1: I think we should
2: hear from Jeremy first. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, yeah, uh, I've been affected by it. You know, people I know have been affected by it. I was furloughed for uh, 30 days, but fortunately, i uh, grateful I was called back to work. <clears throat> um, one thing that I feel is uh, a, bl- a glaring hole that uh, the government will probably refuse to fill is the fact that but a lot of people that lost their jobs, they're making more money on unemployment now than they were at work. Uh, a friend of mine, a few few people uh, uh, that I'm uh, friends with are in that boat. And the first thing that a lot of, I don't want to get political, but the first thing a lot of pol- political people were saying was like, well, they're not going to want to go back to work if we give them this much money. And it's like, well, doesn't it tell you something? Like, <laughs> you know, like people will rather be unemployed during this time because they're making more money on unemployment. Like, you would think that, oh, well, the least amount of money that a person should make should be the amount of money they make while on un- unemployment. You know, it shouldn't be the other way. like, oh, I will make more on unemployment. That I feel like that's one thing that probably will never be addressed, but I'm grateful that it's showing, like, well, maybe you should raise the minimum wage to actually be a living wage or something that people will, I need to go to work because I'm making less money on unemployment with this particular virus because, of course, it's the $600 bump that is helping them out. But it, that's one thing I'm grateful is happening, but maybe that will never be a conversation because of all the other stuff that's happening as well uh, i don't know if i even asked such a question no that's great a statement. <laughs> i think it's such a big
0: topic um mm-hmm. and i thought i don't know it just felt relevant because I, I think we're talking i'm focusing on this episode of covid 19 just general issues we've been facing mm-hmm. um, besides just this article so um yeah i
1: guess um yeah thanks for bringing that up actually i obviously i knew more people were on unemployment and things like that i knew, really make the connection of, like, oh, people are making more money on unemployment than they were working, uh, you know, jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really fascinating. I would say that my personal experience has been, I've been really fortunate to, you know, be working full-time through this whole thing from home, so I've had to, like, expose myself to, you know, a bunch of strangers or anything like that. I feel super fortunate about that, but I've also harbored a lot of sort of anxiety around that knowing that um you know the people were talking about essential workers and you know people envisioning doctors and nurses wearing Mm. protective gear and things like that and (laughs) i i like for example just a really simple example like i sit in the front room uh with a great view of our front entrance where we receive deliveries every single day and uh all of the people who are working are uh, people of color. In fact, I think they are all black. Mm. And just knowing knowing that very tiny s- example, where I'm just sitting in my house, I'm pretty much completely safe. Whereas, like, uh, you know, I know that a large number of people are having to go out and expose themselves to different degrees uh, towards to the virus. It's like that's really uncomfortable for me, and that like that I think that's why like it helps me to like read that article and see that being called out seeing sort of like the the kind of things the social issues being like pulled out mm. uh and to the front because that to me is like what COVID did even prior to um you know uh the the video of Maude Arbery being released and Brianna Taylor's uh, murder and mm. George Floyd's murder like mm-hmm it was already kind of front of mind to me and I was like freaking out about it because it's like, what are we doing about this?
0: Yeah. Um, I wanted to offer a little bit too, I guess just my, my job. It's I have two jobs, uh, well that I'm currently working. Um, one has been, I guess you could say a rideshare person. I've done Lyft, Uber and Uber eats the past two and a half months. Um, and I'm very part-time working as a chaplain, uh, doing hospice um and I think of those two like hospice is kind of it just people are on hospice still need help that it, obviously it's a little interesting having you could say COVID-19 feels like it's in the background because I haven't encountered any COVID-19 positive people at all so it's more like oh there's crazy things happening outside um but it definitely feel it more doing Uber and Lyft um And it was weird, you know, initially when this thing started, like, didn't see anyone. I mean, it was actually really hard. Um, And I noticed that my business would pick up around 9 p.m. That was one thing I noticed. And the other thing um, was I had to start doing Uber Eats for a while because I just wasn't getting into business enough anymore. Um, But kind of to what both of y'all bringing up, like, one thing... I noticed was, like, I'd say over the past two and a half months, about 90% of the people that I serve are black. Um, and that's in comparison to the fact that Chicago is about 30% black. And so it's, like, it's obvious who's outside, who needs to go to work still, um, and, and it's like, who's getting exposed. Um, and I thought that was really, really interesting because... I think the other thing from having just different friends in different areas of work and social locations, people are, when I tell people like what people are out, like people are like, oh, people need to take lifts and Uber still. I'm like, yeah, some people actually have to leave their homes to go to work. And it's like, it, I feel like you have to be of a certain privilege to realize that there are people that need to go outside to do these things that aren't just medical professionals. Um, like, I'd say about maximum 10% of people I, I are helping get to a place are medical professionals. So a very small sliver of people are actually essential workers. Um, and so that, I think I want to point that out because it's, it, and I, I think the other thing too is like a lot of people don't own cars. So it's like they're forced to take Ubers or lifts to get around because that's how they always worked. That's how they've always done it. They just have to do it during a pandemic. Um, so I think I want to um, just... I think for the sake of just the theme of this podcast, I'm the last few minutes, I want to bring it back to um, spirituality. Uh, And I guess not really like spirituality per se, but just looking particularly at the fact of this article um, was written by a pastor with an evangelical background like myself, like Dan. Um, And it's, it's been an interesting thing for me and I think we'll cover this maybe somewhat in the next episode because of the topic, but like, how this is a person that is aware of social justice issues, race issues, um, other issues that are in that field. Um, because I think for me and Dan, but I think, I mean, I don't know how you're going to get this to this one, Jeremy, <laughs> but just um, I think we've all experienced in this country how, I mean, to be frankly honest, how little the church has done, in, t- in terms of who they are as a power and what they've actually done in terms of social justice, there's a huge gap there. Um, so it's good to see someone actually working towards that, but I, I kind of want to, just as a last question, like, how do you think in general, including, I guess, including like, in this time, um, thinking how, I guess, how relevant is religious organization to these issues? If that makes sense.
1: Um, <clears throat> I guess I can <laughs> I, I, it's a li- it's a little bit hard for me to say since I've divorced myself from uh from the church uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and organized religion in general. Um, but I would I, I did have I actually this is kind of timely. I had a conversation with my dad who had just uh, come from a virtual church service um and heard a little bit of like what his faith community is talking about in terms of, um, all the intersections of these ideas, anti-blackness, um, COVID, and things like that. Um, so they're definitely to- talking about it. And I think it is really important. I mean, even though in recent history, like, I guess, sorry, <laughs> trying to like organize all my thoughts. I would say that in the United States, there is still a very politicized group that identifies as Christians. Mm-hmm. And so for things to change, we need to sort of appeal to, to that group of people. Um, so they play a very important role.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I haven't been to uh, any type of service in years. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, raised a Jehovah's Jones Witness. And I left that organization back in 2010. So I've been living my life like, <laughs> I don't know how they're talking about it. They never really got involved into any political uh, issues when I was there. Like, um, but organized religion as a whole, I feel personally that they uh, they haven't been they haven't done much at all. Like, they're uh, look out for themselves, and they anything that disagrees with their belief, uh, I feel like organized religion has just always fought against it. Um, they. I, feel like they've never really addressed anything that in America has, you know, done wrong. Because um, when you look back, personally, as a black person, when you look back, like, uh, Christianity was used to keep slaves. You know, they twisted the verses to justify that. Um, you had the, and then, of course, after that, you had this twisting of verses that allowed them to think that they were superior to black people. Like, I was reading a Facebook post from Somebody that (laughs) took a picture of themselves and labeled it, I am racist. It was a Mm -hmm. white man. And he, like, he was, if you read the post that he posted, he was going in on how um, growing up he was, like, taught to be, you know, racist and how he didn't realize he was racist until he got older and people was bringing out, pointing out things that he um, believed, such as not necessarily that he was better than a, a black person, but off the simple fact that he felt like he was chosen by God and things such as that, and that goes back into religion. Yeah. And so I feel like uh, religion has been a—it's been helpful, but very harmful when it comes to certain things. Like it's—I uh, don't—I don't, I don't want to say I hate it. I don't want to say that I agree with them. It's just I feel like they've been very neutral and they know when to stay neutral mm-hmm. and not say anything. But I feel it's getting to a point where they can't stay neutral. Like, but they they may have already passed that point because like you you and myself, all three of us have tech well I'm not like, not necessarily you but like we distance ourselves from the organized religion that we either a grew up in or we distance ourselves from certain beliefs that they hold. So I, I feel mm-hmm. like as uh, us, us as millennials and then of course the younger generation we're getting further and further away from organized religion. Mm-hmm. Like, um, where that will lead us, I don't know, but that just goes so that maybe organized religion has a flaw that it's not looking at. Yeah, for sure. Um, well,
0: I don't want to go too far <laughs> over 30 minutes. Um, I really appreciate what you had to say, Jeremy. I think that could be, I don't know, that could definitely be pertinent for our next episode. Um, so couple more things just want to add um i mixed up my notes earlier um just wanted to clarify that the article was asian americans anti-blackness covid19 part one written by erna hackett on her blog library today um she is an executive pastor at the way christian center in berkeley california and previously spent 10 years as campus minister with University in california um just because <laughs> i mixed up my scripts um but um yeah guys i um i i'm thinking just you guys are coming in here today um and um thank you everyone who's tuning into this episode too um it's really been a i guess honor and privilege to be here with you um so uh i'm gonna wrap things up now <laughs> um so you guys are awesome by the way i just want to put that out there <laughs> and thank you for being my friends um And you'll be back for the next episode. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, you as a listener, please tune in. Okay, bye.